Amen. Praise God. He is so good. Um, hey, if this is your first time, um, or really second time, too, my name is Ben. Uh, I'm one of the young adult pastors here also. And um, uh, yeah, I am a broken sinner uh, who really, um, really uh, desires that truth that we sing um, and, and needs that, and that our heart would say no other name but Jesus, man. Would that be the prayer of us as a community? <clears throat> okay, y'all ready? Nice. Here's where we're going. <clears throat> the gospel tonight. <clears throat> uh, if you have been around us for very long, uh, if you've been tracking with us for a while, you've heard us talk about the gospel a lot. We're in the book of Galatians. What we do in this ministry is we love the Bible. We love the Bible at this church. So we're just going to pick books of the Bible, walk through it, and, and dig through the truth. And so you've probably heard us, you will have heard us talk a lot about the gospel, man. We stay on the gospel a lot. We talk about it. We will be talking about it. Uh, in the future, we will also be talking about it. And the time in this ministry where you kind of hear us stop talking about the gospel is the time in this ministry where I need a, a strongly worded email of rebuke towards me. Uh, or I need you to pull me or one of these pastors aside and say, hey, where's the gospel in all this? And, and here's why. Um, because we believe the gospel is the power of God to change lives. Uh, we believe that in the gospel, there is so much depth. Four hours ago, I had coffee with a brother in Christ uh, at Starbucks, Dunham University, and he's a counselor in the city. And so I'm reading Galatians, and man, there's so much of just this gospel rootedness. And so I'm talking to him, who's a counselor, and he all day sits across from people who are wrestling with real practical issues, anxiety, depression, anger issues, lust and addiction, and all these things. And so he's sitting there talking to me about, man, the solution for those things, the solution for anger is the gospel. The medicine for depression and anxiety is the gospel. The fix for lust and addiction is the gospel. In the counseling world, in our practical lives, the gospel is where we find our depth. It's where we as Christians have to go to grow and to develop and to become more mature believers. Um, if you don't think the gospel is for you or that you don't need it, either because, one, um, one maybe you don't think you need it because you can fix yourself, and you're here tonight because, man, you want to maybe grow in morality in some ways, and you want to maybe become a little bit of a better person, or you want to be around some people who are better influences, or you don't think you need or want the gospel um, because you've already had it. Because you've already had it, and now what you're looking for is real spiritual depth. Well, I got the gospel when I was a kid. Now I need, like, the spiritual meat and some, some bigger stuff. Uh, I love you, but you are both wrong, and you don't understand the gospel. I love you. But if you don't think you need the gospel or want the gospel or it's not for you because either one, I can fix myself, just give me some morality, or two, I already got that. That was step one. Now I need the other stuff of how to work on this issue and that issue. You don't understand the gospel. It is the source of all of our depth as believers. It should, should be the, the source in which all the application in our life, no matter how deep, no matter how practical growth we can, we can show as Christians, should come from Better understanding the gospel. Uh, one of the pastors of this church, Ryan McCarthy, used to always describe the gospel, and this image has always stuck in my head, of this really intricate, beautiful diamond, right, with all these angles and facets, and you just hold it up in the light. And a part of worship and a part of being a growing believer is taking that and just 
turning it and looking at the different angles and looking at the way the light hits it. And that's what we as believers do. That's what we believe in this church. That's what we believe about certainly the book of Galatians and certainly where we're going tonight is we're going to hold up the gospel. We're going to look at it. We're going to unpack it. And, uh, and I'm praying that you leave changed. I'm, I genuinely, I've been praying today that you guys leave changed, that I come off this stage changed. Not because I said words that I didn't know in my head, but because as I get to sit up here and worshipfully talk about how beautiful Jesus is and how much he loves me despite myself, that I would walk off this stage and be a little bit more in love with him, be a little bit more self-aware of how much of an idiot I am, and that that is our challenge, that we would leave here changed. Our goal as Christians is that we could become gospel, we could live gospel-centered lives. Our goal for tonight, and in the five verses that we're going to unpack in chapter 2 of Galatians, that we would live a gospel-centered life. What is that? What does that mean? What is a gospel-centered life? Glad you ask. Chapter 2, verses 17 and 18 in your Bibles if you got them, or uh, we'll throw it up on the screen um, behind you if that's easier and, and less distracting for you. Here's what Paul is saying to, uh, to his brothers in Galatia in verses 17 and 18. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. So stop here. Let me unpack this. This is, um, this is honestly a little bit of a complicated couple of verses. It starts with but, right? So we clearly know that this is uh, a contrast. It's a conjecture that contrasts what we're talking about before. So let me give us some context. Last week, Josh preached uh, the, the passage before this at the beginning of chapter two. He did an incredible job because God does incredible things through Josh. And, and in that sermon and in that passage of Galatians two, we see the gospel. We see that what's happening and is that we are justified as believers. Those who are in Christ are justified in Christ by grace, that they are justified by God through grace in Jesus Christ. And so he's saying, man, God loves you. There is grace for you. And so here's what happened. Um, and, and we see this in the beginning of, of chapter two. We see Peter. And Peter was a big deal. And he was Jesus' right-hand man. He is a big deal all throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He's talked about a lot. He's just a really big deal in the New Testament. And Peter gets it wrong. And Paul calls him out on it. Because what Peter is doing is he's got these guys who, who he's hanging out with and they're friends. And these are people who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. But they're not Jews of the old way. They're what's called Gentiles. So these new guys and they've they put their faith in Christ and they never really followed the list of do's and don'ts that the Jews did. But they got saved and he's loving it. And Peter's hanging out with them. And he's like, yeah, man, you guys are doing it. You, you put your faith in Christ, that's great. And then what happens is old boys come over and they got the clipboard and the legalists kind of enter into the room. And when the legalists enter into the room and they've got the list of all the things you're supposed to do and all the religious rules, they walk into the room. What Peter does is he's chumming it with these guys. Yeah, man, right on. Oh, yeah, I don't know what these guys are doing. I know, man. And he slides over here. He says, man, yeah, I know, man. Let's see the list. No, yeah, I'm, I'm with you guys, man. Those, pff, I don't know what they're thinking. Right? And, he, and it's this hypocrisy. And he puts on this religious mask and he, and he starts faking it. And there's this level of hypocrisy that Paul sees. And so in Galatians, he calls out Peter, and he says, bro, you're killing me. You are killing me, man. 
Here we've received the gospel of grace through Jesus Christ. Here God has said, all those rules, all those things you're supposed to do, the law of what makes you righteous, all of that stuff just condemns us. That's not what saves us. Christ died for all that. Now you're just saved by grace, God's grace. This is a new thing. This is incredible. This is life. This is freedom. This is huge. And then whenever the legalists come over, you get scared and insecure. You're setting us back, bro. You are miscommunicating. You're confusing people out of your fear of man, out of, out of your falling back into legalism and, and worried about what these guys of the old way think of you, you've slipped into hypocrisy. Paul's argument then is he says in these verses that we just read, he says in 17, 18, he says, okay, so if I'm doing it the way Christ tells me to do it, right? That, that in my endeavor to be justified in Christ, if, if I'm too and found to be a sinner, so if I'm doing it the way Christ has told me to do it, and you guys all think of me as a sinner, well, then is Christ a sinner too? And that's, that's just a mic drop ending argument. I mean, you, there's no rebuttal because nobody's going to say Christ is a sinner. And so he makes this argument, and Paul in Galatians here in, in verse 17 and 18 is making this argument to say, hey, we're, doing, we're loving outsiders. We're loving people that aren't the religious. They are saved. This is how Christ called us to live and love. This is the gospel. You, you think I'm a sinner because I'm with him. Is Christ a sinner? It's just kind of the period of that argument. You can't, can't really say anything because the truth is we are justified by grace. We shouldn't add to it. We can't add to it. Verse 18, you know, he says, man, I tore this thing down. He, he says in verse 18, for if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. God came and he tore down that that system of I got to work my way and I got to, he tore that down. If I go and start building it back up again, I'm just transgressing to that old way before Christ set me free. For us, we have got to quit building. The exhaustion of doing all of the things that we put on the mask, the religious, the, the, the things that we think justify us, stop striving. Stop striving to earn this. Stop striving for your acceptance by your heavenly father. Stop striving to earn the grace of God. We are justified by grace. What a churchy phrase. What does that mean? Justified by grace. Um, so I am, I'm down on my luck. No, you. You're down on your luck because I'm doing fine. You're... <laughs> you're down on your luck, right? You're down on your luck. You made some bad decisions. You're not doing great. You really put yourself in a bad place, spent a bunch of money on Nickelback concerts, and now you're broke. <laughs> Just trying to, trying to paint this really pathetic picture of your life. That was the first thing I could think of. Um, you got it. No, I'm not even going to go there. I was going to make an A&M joke, and I realized this would go, yeah. So anyway, you're down, you're down on your luck, right? Stay with me. Stay with me, all right? Stay with me. So you're down on your luck. And you, um, you go out and, and you have to steal, man. You just start making decisions to rob from people and steal. And so you go out to a car one night and it's on some guy's property and you sneak into it, you shatter the glass, you unlock the door, you get in there, you steal four bucks worth of change, you got his, you know, you got his phone charger, 
Um, you're jacking out the stereo, right? You've got a bar, and you're just kind of messing up his dash and pulling out the stereo. And then you hear behind you, hey, what are you doing? And you turn around, and there is a grown A man behind you <laughs> with, a, with a flashlight and with a shotgun. And you live in Texas, and, which means if you're on his property, you just do whatever. He, he can do whatever he wants. Um, and there you are. And you turn around, and you step back from his car with a shattered windshield and a jacked-up dashboard. And you've got his stereo in one hand with cords dangling. And you've got a bunch of quarters and an iPhone charger in the other hand. And he says, man, what are you doing? And you're frozen, man. You don't have any options. There's, you're cornered against the car. You can't outrun this thing. You can't outwiggle. You're thinking, okay, well, maybe if I give these things back, like maybe, if, maybe no harm done yet, I can just give them back, although the dash is all messed up and the windshield's going to cost some money. And Okay, what, what are we going to do here? And then he looks at you, right? And he puts down his gun and he says, you know what? We're okay. We're okay. We're okay. Come on in and, and have dinner with me. I got steaks inside. Come on in and eat dinner with me. Right? You, for some crazy reason, you are made right with him. He has every reason to punish you. You're guilty. Uh, he, you know, you make you sit on the curb until the cops show up. He could shoot you. He could do whatever he wants. He has every right to do that. And yet, for some reason, he just, he just in his sovereign power and will, since he's got all the cards at that moment, says, we're okay. I am, we're, I, you are now right with me. Come sit at my table, hang out with my kids, eat my food, be in my house, use my bathroom, even come into my life. It is by his grace that you were just made right. You are justified. You are made right by his grace. That illustration pales in comparison to the fact that to an Almighty, holy God, worthy of our lives, who keeps the very breath in our lungs. With those same lungs, I curse him and I, I betray him and I cheat on my God and I, I, am, I am Judas and I uh, worship other idols instead of him and I worship myself and I stick my fingers in the air to a perfect and holy God in my soul. So that illustration breaks down in the sense that what we are doing spiritually with the God of the universe in our sin and wickedness and depravity is way worse than ripping a stereo out of a car. Way worse. And yet, we are justified by grace. We are made right by his grace. He didn't catch us and we think, oh crap, uh, here's the stereo back and here's the $4 and change. Sorry about the windshield. He, for some reason, saw us where we were while we were yet sinners and out of his grace chose to pardon us. We're going to talk about what that pardoning looked like because it was way more violent than him just being passive. There was violence involved. It just wasn't on us. That is grace. Why he would do that? Why a holy God would do that for us? I, like, I honestly don't know. I really don't. I study this thing and I look at this thing and why a holy righteous God would look at me in the midst of my sin and catch me there and say by my grace I'm going to make right this relationship I'm going to make right what you broke Ben I'm going to make right because I'm gracious I don't know why he does that for us but it makes me worship and it, and it makes me lean into him and it makes me wonder, God, why do you do that? Why do you love me the way you do? And that is called worship. 
And the more I can understand my depth and his holiness, my depth and his holiness, and the fact that he's bridged that with Jesus Christ, his grace, the more worshipful my life is. We are justified by his grace. Um, Verse 19 even says here, uh, we'll throw it up on the screen. Verse 19 says, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. It's like we've had this debt uh, and yet someone else paid it, right? If you've been around church, we've heard that illustration a million times. Our debt has been paid, so we don't have to pay it anymore. Through the law, the law revealed, oh man, I suck. It was paid. I don't have to keep going to the courts and paying it. It was paid once and for all. So what does a gospel-centered life look like? First shape of how a gospel-centered life looks like is that we are people who are justified by God's grace. If we are living a gospel-centered life, it is through the power and through the knowledge and through this understanding from here to here, which creates worship, that we are justified. We're made right by God's grace, not our striving. Hold up. Everybody made right by God's grace? Is everybody just great, man? He's so good. He just looks at creation and loves us and a whole bunch of car thieves and and sinners and idolaters and and wicked people. He says, God, I love you and here's my grace. No, that's not biblical. That's not in scripture. Not everyone is partakers of this specific grace of God through Jesus Christ. Not everyone is. Um, but we see in the, the section here before this that it's those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. In verse 16, we're not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Jesus. Jesus Christ is the grace. He is the vessel of the grace. But my faith in Jesus, those who put their faith who have a saving faith in Jesus Christ. Those are the ones who are actually experiencing the blessing of that. Um, That's scary. Um, And and I want to slow down here because I believe there are people in this room who have heard this and grew up with this and had a parent or a grandparent tell them this, who'd be going to church, and they've never actually put their saving faith in Jesus Christ. They understand how the math works. We understand, you understand how the math works, but maybe you're in this room and you've never actually put your, you've never actually put your faith in Jesus Christ. And so what does that look like, right? What does that mean? I think one of my favorite illustrations of saving faith, and all these illustrations are gonna come up short because the only real example is an incarnate God dying for our sin. But in order to illustrate that, uh, it's a plane, right? It's, it's you might believe that you can fly in an airplane, right? You might have every belief. You might sit in classes. You might sit in the equivalent of a church and say, yeah, man, planes are great. We can all fly in planes, and you understand the engineering of lift versus drag and and the size of the engines and the, the length of the propellers, and you might understand, yes, I can get in a plane, and I can fly from destination A to destination B. But you don't actually go and get on a plane and fly from destination A to destination B. You understand, yeah, the gospel, God loves us. Jesus came to die and he shows us such grace. I love you. You are not under his grace if you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ. You're not under his grace if you haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ. 
that illustration, if you haven't gotten on the plane and flown from destination A to destination B, it's theoretical, it's maybe intellectual, it's maybe even emotional in some ways. You might even love the idea of plane travel, but you've never actually surrendered to the process of being lifted in the air and taken from one place to the next. Scripture warns us that there are a lot of people in the end who say, yeah, yeah, it's me, right? And he says, I don't know you. I love you. If you haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ, then you're not under his grace. You're under his wrath. And maybe you're experiencing some, some grace of God right now, and maybe he's, there's some kindness and some things he's shown you in your life. But in the end, for eternity, you're going to be under his wrath. Don't miss that. Don't walk out of here. Don't feel a pat on the back and say, yeah, man, another passage where God loves everybody and everyone's saved. Yes, everyone who puts their faith in Christ Jesus will be saved and there's grace. What, um, what that looks like for a gospel-centered life is that we're justified by God's grace through our faith. A gospel-centered life means you are justified, you're made right by God's grace through our faith in Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Really important we don't leave you hanging on that one. Really important we unpack that one. What does getting on the plane look like? Spiritually, great. Get the plane illustration. Spiritually, don't leave before we understand what saving faith looks like. Look at what Paul says in verse 20 and 21. Some of the best articulation of our apostle Paul in what it looks like to have our saving faith in Jesus Christ. In verse 20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for, it, for it, if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died with no purpose. Been crucified with Christ, he says. He says what it looks like for him spiritually is he has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer he who lives, it's Christ who lives within me. So here we have, here we have free gift of God, the grace of God, this free gift available to everyone, and that free gift is the perfect death and blood of Jesus Christ. The grace of God we're talking about is the fact that the chasm was too wide. The debt was too great, and so the perfect God incarnate came and died, rose again, and paid for that debt. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection has given us this free gift. Incredible. That's available for all who have faith. So what does it cost me? What it costs me is everything. What it costs me to put my faith in that free gift of grace. Free gift. You didn't earn it. It's not religion. It's not church attendance. It's not how well you did in the dating thing or how many times you cuss or how drunk you get. It's gift of God through grace. No matter what your sin is, no matter how wicked, no matter how far you've gone, his grace is more than your sin. And all it costs you, that free gift, all it costs you, that infinite, unconditional grace. All it costs you is everything. I have been crucified with Christ, Paul says. What faith looks like for Paul is he says, my life isn't my own anymore. 
I have been crucified with Christ and it's no longer my life. And so now the life I'm, I'm living and walking around and interacting with other people and spending my time breathing and earning money and, and talking and serving, all of those things I do in faith through the one who loved me and gave himself up for me. My life isn't my own. And to be a follower of Christ is to surrender to the God of the universe, to die to ourselves, to die to ourselves and be alive in Christ and allow his Holy Spirit then to, to lead us and walk in that spirit and walk in that conviction and stay in his word to make sure we know what that even looks like and, and how we get out of bounds and how we stay in the spirit and, and, and have his spirit teach us and talk to us and communicate to us through his word. What if, what if we mess up? What if we surrender our life to Christ, no longer me, it's going to be Christ, I get it, but what if I mess up? When we mess up. Peter messes up. Right, Peter gets called out in the Bible. That's embarrassing. Paul, <laughs> Paul messes up, right? These guys mess up, so when, then you're, you realize you're in a covenant with God. You're in a covenant with God that as, not if you mess up, that as you mess up, we still have our trust in him. We still have our trust in him and say, oh man, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner, I'm an idiot, I'm selfish. I'm, what Josh talked about last week from the first part of Galatians 2, I'm forgetful. I forget, I forget how good he is. I forget how much better he is than whatever the world has to offer me. We're in this covenant with him. We've surrendered to it and we've said, man, everything I have, peel my hand back from all the things that I want to rule and control and all the idols and the things that I want to worship. I want to worship myself. I want to worship my comfort. I want to worship uh, my relationship status. I want those things. Lord, I surrender to you. My faith is in you. Slowly peel back my fingers. And that is a painful, slow process in our life. It's a painful and slow process in the Christian life that is gospel-centered, a gospel-centered life. The fancy word is sanctification, maturity that's happening. And it doesn't go the pace, I, certainly not I want it to go. And I, I think I'm growing, and then I realize something else, or I think I'm growing, and then I, I just wander into disobedience and sin. I'm like, actually, God, I got it from here. And, and it's this mess, because I'm a mess, and God is this patient, perfect father that I'm in a covenant with through Jesus Christ. It is slow and it is painful at times. Um, seems really hard, right? Like that's not a great promotion for the Christian life. And die to yourself and then slowly and painfully be sanctified and chiseled by God. It'll be painful at times and annoying at times and frustrating. It doesn't seem like a great advertisement. One, I don't care, it's truth. But two, <laughs> but two how much more exhausting is it to try to keep the law. How much more exhausting would it be to live your life with some religious rule following that you say, okay, I gotta do this and this and this and this and, and oh, okay, I gotta stay away from these things over here and over here and, I, and you're striving, right? It's that striving principle and I gotta do all these things to earn a holy God's acceptance of me, a holy, perfect, worshipful God. I've gotta somehow build a ladder and climb it to him and that's that is exhausting. And then at the end of the day, coming up short, and at the end of the day, that is a beating. I would much rather say my life is not my own. 
My life is not my own. God, take me. I know where that goes. I know where trying to do it on my own goes. I hope you do too. I hope you're in this room and and maybe you've put your faith in Christ, but you've still wandered back into trying to do things. And tonight he's saying, stop. Stop trying to do things. And tonight, die. Die to yourself. Surrender. Those things that you're trying to hold on to and control, manipulate and say, no, God, not this. I want this. I need this. This is for me. Let go of those things and trust God. My life is no longer my own. I've been crucified with Christ. The life we now live is in faith in Christ. I pray tonight. Um, I pray tonight. Maybe the Lord gets a hold of you. It's not going to be because of me, a promise. It's not because the songs we play. But the Lord gets a hold of you tonight. Maybe for the first time, somebody in this room says, I've never really done that. I did the religious thing. That sucked, burned me out, annoying, impossible at times. Or maybe you're in this room and you've done the religious thing really well and you've really kept the list. And, and you, part of intrinsically in, in what you think you're accepted by is your own self-righteousness and that's gonna get burned up so fast in eternity. That self-righteousness that you think you earned it is as much of middle fingers to the God, of God as anything else. Oh, I got this on my own. Maybe that's you tonight. Talk to us. And if you don't want to, if you hold back from surrendering to God tonight, whether it's for the first time or whether it's because you've wandered into building your own towers and you're ready to tear them down and surrender back, man, let us walk with you as a church, as staff, as pastors. Man, email us. Our phone numbers are on the website or out there. Let us know how we can pray for you and walk with you in that. Remember when I said, stop striving, right? Um, I don't want to leave you hanging there because the truth is, stop striving, but start responding. Start responding to the grace of God. Start responding to a holy and worthy God who has given you his book, given you life. Start responding to this gospel-centered life that you are justified by grace through faith. If you've put your faith in him, then his grace is over you and you're justified by grace through faith and respond to that. Don't strive to get there, but now respond to that. Um, let me get real practical. It's real practical. A way to respond to a gospel-centered life is looking at our sin um, in, in ways of obedience. Let's pick on a couple of the, the normal ones we pick on in church. Lust, uh, we'll say lust and drugs, right? Because that's what we, we pick on in church because those are definitely on the no list, right? So instead of striving on the front end to stop doing these things so that you'll earn God's acceptance, surrender to the grace of God, die to yourself, and then respond to that grace with obedience and apply the gospel, the grace of God, and say, wow, I am loved, I am loved right where I'm at tonight. Wednesday, September 14th, God, the eternal God of the universe has spoken into me. His Holy Spirit revealed through his word that I have been offered this gift. And then we respond with our obedience. And that's where all of a sudden my desire to not lust comes from. 
That's why all of a sudden pornography never has the same attraction level to it because now all of a sudden it's despicable and I see it for what it is as opposed to this temptation that I just need to grip my teeth and, and not go down that road. Or drugs all of a sudden still tempting, still if that's, if that's you. Or all of these vices that we run into, we respond to those things. They are an outflow of those things. Um, okay? Um, how about fear? How does the gospel-centered life apply to fear? and control, anxiety, and depression. So drugs and lust, those are, yeah, those are easy ones to pick on. What about just, man, we're walking in fear. Because we're not in control, and we're walking around and it paralyzes us, we're, we're afraid of being alone, and, and so we act out on that, or, or we're afraid of not being liked, and so we act out on that, and we are a slave just like, just like somebody who's addicted to drugs, we are slave to fear in our life. And we allow fear to command and pull us and tug us around and rob us of joy and rob us of life. Instead of just saying, man, I'm just going to stop being afraid. We say, God loves me right where I'm at. He loves me right where I'm at. The grace of God extends to me. I am now set free of those things. So, Lord, would I walk in that freedom? Would I walk in that freedom? Would I apply that to my life? How about even just what genuine worship looks like? A gospel-centered life, an application, a practical application of having a life that's centered on that, that gospel that by grace through faith, it looks like a real, genuine worship response. We're not singing songs, and not just worship when we got an acoustic guitar on stage. Worship when we're in traffic. Worship, worship when we're eating food. I don't mean musical worship. I mean our hearts responding to this. One of, the, one of the flags that we can see that maybe we aren't doing this as well as we, we, we thought we were is whenever, um, whenever somebody points out sin in our life or we blow it. You know, we just, some weekend, we go to some party, we, uh, we go back to that ex-girlfriend, ex-boyfriend, or whatever it is that we know, like, man, gosh, there's this level of guilt and shame. And, and, and here's what we think. If you've ever thought this, you think, man, gosh, I'm really surprised that I did that. Man, that sin really surprised me. And ah, oh, man, I didn't. I thought I was. I thought I was over that. I thought. You know what that's saying? That's revealing that we've actually kind of built up a little bit of like, no, we got this. We we kind of have this in our own realm, and we. And so, if we're surprised by sin, we shouldn't be surprised by sin. I am a wicked sinner. I am prone to sin. Everything in me that's good is because of the grace of God. My default is sin. His default is to bring me back to Himself. That should drive our worship. Um, what else? Okay, here's a big one. Uh, we love to take scripture, right? These five verses, and rightfully so, apply them to ourselves. Apply them to ourselves. An individual devotional, an individual change in your life should be happening. I think that's probably the right, adequate place to start. Ch a change in your heart and your life. But one of the practical ways that that change should manifest itself, not might, but should manifest itself, is how you love other people. A gospel-centered life. One of the applications of that is going to be loving people in radical ways. Paul is admitting he's getting in trouble because he's hanging out with people who other legalists are calling sinners. And they're calling him a sinner. That sounds super familiar, right? Jesus, kind of the same story, man. People called Jesus, the religious of the time, looked at Jesus and they said, man, you're a glutton and you're a drunkard. You're hanging out with all these gluttons and drunkards. Man, what do you... 
They were getting persecuted. They were getting labeled that because they were entering into broken people's lives. Is there persecution anywhere in your life by the way you're loved? Are you loving anyone in a way that is persecuting you? If you're only loving people that aren't persecuting, that isn't persecuting, that either other people aren't looking in at and saying, oh man, that's shady, or no, you shouldn't do that, you do, or you're not loving people that's hard to love, well then that's not really loving. But right? just you're hanging out with people you like. You have really great friendships and maybe you love people you like. A gospel-centered love of others is the idea that we are loving outsiders. We are loving people on the fringes. We are, we are allowing the whole point that this ministry even exists, or at least that we've designed it the way we have, is that you might use it as a platform to say, hey man, I want to bring you to this thing where you're going to hear about the love of God. You're going to hear grace, not legalism. Hopefully, Lord willing, you're going to come face to face with God and that's going to be good for you. And you invite outsiders in. And, and you don't just do that. You go out. If you're not around people who don't know Jesus, you put yourself in those places. The event we're throwing tomorrow night at Central Market is all about, let's go outside the walls of the church and let's love people and let's get in conversations and let's, let's be a community of gospel-centered people who are right with God. What freedom does that bring? What joy does that bring? It should be contagious. People should see it on our face. We're made right with the holy God of the universe. It's a pretty big deal. We're made right. And it wasn't because we're bad-A Christians who do it all right. It's because God's gracious. That should be contagious in the world. We should show up at freaking Central Market and hand out green beans and people getting saved and <laughs> hugs and people singing and worshiping and, and you're meeting strangers because you were once a stranger and you're loving them, eating food. By the way, the food is actually not free. Preston said it was free. It's not free. We're broke, but you should still come. <clears throat> right? How are you loving people in a way that's hard? And how, how does that look? Man, I'm convicted by that. I'm embarrassed that I'm convicted by it, but I am. And I got people in my life recently who loved me enough to say, hey, man, I don't think we're loving outsiders enough. I think we're just hanging out with Christians. I'm like, well, nah, oh, uh, yeah, well, maybe. Man, it's there in my heart. It's easy. Gospel-centered believers are going to love others in radical ways. We're going to love the city in radical, radical ways. We're going to love the broken. We're going to love the marginalized. Because that is where we belong. That is what, that's what we should be. We should be those outsiders. We tell people they can belong before they have to believe all the lists that we do, before they speak the same church language we do, before they wear the same clothes we do. Let me get even more practical. And then we'll wrap this thing up and get back to worshiping Jesus. Let me get more practical. Um, to live out a gospel-centered life, all these applications of it, it's gospel-centered life is by grace through faith. That's what it looks like. And there's all these applications of it. To live that out real practically, remind yourself of it daily. We forget. We start building our own tower. We think, yeah, man, it's by God's grace. Wow, his kindness is incredible towards me. That leads me to change my ways. This is awesome. And then we forget. And we either go back to religion to get our fix or we just wander back into the weeds where there isn't life. 
Remind yourself of it daily. And secondly, this isn't, this isn't a joke. Get in community. I love that there's 250 people worshiping in a room. Bring people in. Let them hear the gospel. But now out of this, go get plugged into a home group. Go find a smaller group of people who knows your name, knows what you struggle with, knows that you're a sinner, totally wicked sinner, saved by grace. And you're trying to surrender, and you're not good at it, and you're trying to grow. It's not meant to do solo. Go get yourself in a home group of other people who also want that and need to be reminded of that daily and stare at the gospel and stare at Jesus and stare at how he loves others and be changed by it. And then you wander and you forget and you got people who love you the same. That's what it's designed to be. Get in a home group. You walk out this door, you grab a card and it says, grow with us, fill it out and we will try really hard to get you in a home group or you just show up. On Thursdays, on Thursday evening, we have an open home group led by two incredibly talented, gifted people who love Jesus. It's in the basement of this church, so literally right under where we're at. There's entrances outside in this hallway. You go in there at 7 o'clock on a Thursday, and there's a group of people that's always open home group. So if you can't find a home group or we don't have any available, show up on a Thursday night and just go to the open group until... You connect with those people and then y'all can split off and, and be your own home group and, and do life together. We're gonna do that every Thursday except for tomorrow because we're gonna go love people in the city at Central Market. So starting next week, man, just show up on a Thursday if you open group or fill out a card and we'll get you plugged in. Man, do we see God's kindness? Do we see God's kindness and does that lead us to repentance? The guy, well, you, who stole the stereo and the change from the ashtray and and that guy calls you in to eat dinner with him and meet his family. And you get up and you go to the bathroom. Do you look at the soap dish and think, maybe I'll, maybe I'll steal the soap dish? No, you don't because you're responding to the grace of that man. You say, man, this relationship is way better than whatever I could pawn this soap dish for. That's what that response of worship and obedience looks like. Gospel-centered life, man, that should set a posture for how we love other people with grace it should also be the power in which we love other people by Christ living in you and you're not trying to do it on your own. You're not trying to show up to Central Market or the workplace or going home to your family who doesn't know the Lord and just trying to have the words yourself. But instead, you walk into those environments and you say, God, I need you. Holy Spirit, you lead this conversation. You go before me. You change their hearts. I don't have the ability or the stamina or the patience I love you guys. We love you guys. I don't even know you. We love you because the Holy Spirit in us loves you. Don't leave tonight unchanged. Don't leave tonight unchanged. Stare at the gospel and be changed by it. Respond to it in deeper worship. Respond to it by going out and saying, man, I'm going to serve. I'm going to serve with student ministries. I'm going to serve with this ministry. I'm going to get plugged into a home group. Respond. That's between you and the Holy Spirit. You respond. Let us know how we can love you and walk with you in that. Let me pray over you. Father, you're so good. Um, would we never get tired of the gospel, Lord? Would we look at the gospel more and more, especially through the book of Galatians? We just can't read this book without seeing your, your apostle Paul push us towards the life and the freedom that's in just gospel-centered living. It means we don't have to strive to earn this thing. It means we don't have to play the Christian game right. But it does mean we die to ourselves and we surrender our life. 
And then three weeks later, you show us whole areas that we didn't even realize we weren't surrendering. It's painful. We go through the process and we surrender, but we are in a covenant with you. So Father, if there are people in this room who've never really surrendered, maybe they've gone through the Christian rules or they prayed a prayer one time or something, but they've never surrendered their life or they're not sure they have, Lord, would tonight, would they feel boldness to do that? They talk to a pastor or they sit here afterwards and worship and read Galatians 2.20 over them and over and over again, being reminded what it looks like to have faith in you, what this life looks like, what it costs us. We're dead to ourselves and alive in you. God, for all of us, would we leave changed tonight? Would we leave in awe of you? Would our ability and capacity to worship you have increased? Because maybe we're a little more aware that, yeah, we suck and that's okay. And you are good and holy and way out of our league. And yet, Jesus Christ, you sent. Jesus Christ, you poured a violent wrath out that we deserved. Died and he rose again. I believe that. I believe that. I surrender to that. Father, change us. In the name of Jesus, amen.